Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh yeah. Hey, hi there. I am Carol Jurgensen Sheets, aka Carol the Coach, and I am so happy to be with you tonight. You know, this is the show that takes you where you need to be. This is the show that'll help you with your recovery. This is a show that will help your loved ones understand what is going on with you and what can they do to make things better. And let's face it, that is the hardest thing to know. What is it that one needs to do to get healthy and to make the right choices? Uh, That's what Carol Coach says. So... I had an interesting email, Um, and it's from a man, we'll call him Mark. He says, hey, Carol, just wanted to thank you for sending me the Recovery Start Kit. I have these Recovery Start Kits developed by Patrick Carnes, and I sell them. Actually, now they've gone up. I sell them for my cost, $350. And he says, I have been working through the first 40 days, and it has helped me stay focused on my recovery work. Yeah, it's a 130-day program. It's meant for people that are newly in recovery, but i got to tell you, I use it with a lot of people that just can't seem to get traction with their sex addiction. And so he had asked for one, and I said, sure, Mark, I'll be happy to send that to you. And he says, you know, between that and all the information I'm learning on your podcast, I am feeling so much better. And then he says, I was wondering if there's any way that you have your YouTube videos available in an audio format. I have YouTube blocked by my Covenant Eyes filter, so I can't access that site, but would like to hear your content. And boy, I understand that. I have to look into that because I don't think I do have any way to make that audio only. But I can really appreciate my information's good. It's six to ten minutes long on things that you need to know to catapult your recovery. He said, also, I've been seeing a therapist for many years, and he's able um, to offer me a special rate. So I continue to see him even though I know I probably should be seeing a CSAT. Now, for any of you that are just listening for the first time, A CSAT is a certified sexual addictions therapist. That's what I am. He says, is there any written material that I could give to my therapist as to how best to use the start kit with me? Well, in actuality, he should be sharing the um, CDs with his therapist, and the therapist can then help walk him through what he needs to do. 
he said, you know, the Recovery Start Kit 40-day program is pretty straightforward. After that, I'm not sure what I do with the 90-day prep and going forward. I would appreciate any guidance or to point me to the best resources. Well, once you get done with the 40-day recovery kit, then you go to the 90 days and you start doing the work. You start going through and deciding, okay, now, in terms of my recovery, do I, am I still in denial? And if so, what are the ways that I'm still in denial? And do I understand my sexual addiction? I mean, there's a bibliotherapy um, program in there that talks to you about what do you need to do to understand your addiction. He said, I am also working through facing the shadow workbook and doing SAA step work with my sponsor. So Mark is doing an incredible job of going through the basics for sexual addiction. I, I encourage any of you to get Facing the Shadows. It's a workbook, and it has you go all the way from Chapters 1 to, I believe, Chapter 9, which then goes into resources. He said, hey, Carol, are there any weekend or week-long intensives or workshops you would recommend, especially that would contain a partner component? I am pushing into my recovery and want to keep doing the work. I live in central Illinois, but I'm willing to travel to somewhere that might be beneficial to help take my recovery to the next level in the future. Well, you know, there are a lot of great couples recovery work, and there's a lot of great partner recovery work, you know, helping a partner to figure out what she can do to stay safe and how to de-escalate some of that anxiety and how to deal with the trauma that she's experiencing. And so my advice to Mark would be to continue to listen to my shows and listen to the long, um, you know, intensives are three, five, eight-day workshops that help the addict, the partner, or the couple work through their issues. Um, As a matter of fact... Tonight, I am going to be uh, talking to Gary Eldridge, and he works for Lighthouse Counseling Center. And they have Facing the Shadows groups and Recovery Zone groups. That's based on the recovery tasks that Patrick Carnes puts out. And then he has, they also have groups for partners of sex addicts. Um, now, they are in the New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville, Louisiana area. They hold three-day freedom intensive workshops four times each year, and they hold a connections workshop. And I really love this. The connections workshop is based on the work of Brene Brown and her work on empathy and the Gifts of Imperfection book. Um, Here's what I believe, that as an addict, you have to have empathy. Now, I have a specific formula called AVR. And A stands for acknowledge the situation. What is the situation that your partner's in? Acknowledge it. You know, I was thinking about it today, and I was working with a partner who doesn't trust her husband. He failed the polygraph. Um, He has had... Oh, 60 or 70 prostitutes in his life. He's probably spent $100,000 on activity outside of the marriage. And yet, he is working a good program right now. And so she is understandably vulnerable to not wanting to believe that he's really doing the work because she doesn't want to get duped again. And so... I encourage him to continue to practice empathy with her, to acknowledge it, to say, you know, honey, I absolutely understand why you can't trust me. I wouldn't even trust myself. And then the V stands for validating feelings. And I want to validate that you are probably scared shitless. 
are scared beyond belief. You have a lot of anxiety about where I've been and what I could go on to. I want to validate those feelings. And then the R. R stands for reassurance. And the reassurance is, but I want you to know that I am doing something different than I've ever done before. I'm going to 12-step meetings. I've got a sponsor. I'm doing my 12-step work. I'm talking to the fellowship. I'm seeing Carol. I am registered to be in her group. I've got filters on my phone. I'm taking regular polygraph tests. I am doing additional recovery reading, like facing the shadows. And I am praying, meditating, and journaling because I'm going to beat this addiction. Now, I got to tell you, nobody beats an addiction, but they learn how to manage it. And that's the other thing that Gary Eldridge wants to talk about tonight. He says, you know, if you look at the 12 steps, the recovery journey is not about defeating the addiction or on the battleground. If we fight the addiction on the battleground of addiction, white-knuckle it, or doing periodic purges, or periodic abstinence, then we will lose because we've learned and accepted that we are powerless to defeat it. But powerlessness does not mean helpless. And so what I was telling one of my group members tonight, you need to surrender to a variety of things. You need to surrender to the fact that you can't do it alone that a power higher and greater than yourself has to help you with that. Call it spirituality, call it God, call it your higher power. I don't care what you call it. But you are not strong enough to do it by yourself. And when you begin to accept that and really let your guard down and listen to what your spirituality tells you, wow, that's when you can begin to feel the small victories that make a difference in your recovery. So I can't wait to interview Gary because, you know, he truly is somebody who will share about his intensives. And then, you know, in Illinois, I'm going to have to put that out to my list, sir, Mark. I don't know who is available in central Illinois, but what I do know, you know, I'm from Indianapolis. And my gosh, uh, I'm the only certified sexual addiction therapist in a city of over a million and a half. But central Illinois, Chicago, oh, man, they have hundreds of certified sexual addiction therapists and APSATs. That's the Association for Partners of Sex Addicts and Trauma Specialists. And so you are in a plethora of treatment uh, projects and facilities. You've got everything you need to make it your own. So that's the good news is that you can make this thing happen because you've got resources. So I will put that out to my listserv. I will get back with you because I have your email. And that's what I want to tell you all, that I promise if you send me an email, and that email would be carol at carolthecoach.com. I will do my best to answer every single one of them. Because what I know to be true is that I really want you to get your needs met and to find good old recovery and to make it your own. And I do believe you need a specialist. You need somebody who knows what they're doing. And that's why I so appreciate you letting me be that specialist every Monday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. And it just doesn't get any better than that because you know and I know that until you feel safe enough to be 100% honest, you're not going to get the help that you need. So I want to encourage you to find a safe person, a sponsor, a fellowship member, a mentor, 
whether it's at every man's battle, whether it's in 12-step meetings, whether it's at Recovery Nation, an online group, maybe it's Smart Recovery. Find a group that works for you. And don't make excuses because you need a committee. Patrick Carnes told me that a long time ago. You need a committee to make a difference in your life. You can't white-knuckle it, and you cannot do it alone. And if you're wanting a little more information, just like, uh, just like so many people, you can go to my website, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and um, you can absolutely methodically Put down what it is you need to get healthy. You know, I told a man today, you need a picky. You need a personal um, inventory index that sets out to explain your craziness, to explain what are things that aren't working for you so that you can modify them. You know, if you do this craziness inventory, you're able to see that Maybe it's not getting enough sleep that sets you up for a relapse. Or maybe it's that your car is dirty. Maybe you need to keep your car decluttered. Now, I'm not saying it's one thing, but trust me, when you have a whole host of areas that need to be improved, you're probably not going to find recovery. Because what I know to be true is that your world needs to be methodical. You need to know what it is that you have to do to feel that serenity that is so important to recovery. And that's why we're going to be talking to Gary Eldridge. I mean, he is going to be talking about some of the tools that he thinks is absolutely essential to manage your recovery. So, Gary, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. I am so happy to be interviewing you tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to be here with you. Yes. Well, you know, you just, when I looked at what you're doing, you really offer a comprehensive way for sex addicts to organize their life so that they actually are proactive as opposed to reactive to their addiction. Tell me a little bit about how you got into this field. Well, I've been working um, with uh, as a psychotherapist in private practice, solo practice for many years, and uh, started seeing more and more uh, people show up in my practice with sexual addiction. Uh, went to a training uh, workshop that uh, Patrick Carnes and Stephanie Carnes were putting on in New Orleans, where I live and work um, and uh, got kind of turned on about doing some training to get certified as a sex addiction therapist. And so that's really what kind of launched me into getting into the field. And that I became a certified sex addiction therapist. I think it was in 2008. So about 10 years now I've been uh, officially as a certified sex addiction therapist doing the work. I've been, doing that work at Lighthouse Counseling Center for the past four years. So we have offices in New Orleans and Baton Rouge and on the North Shore of New Orleans in Mandeville, Louisiana. Yeah, I love that you have so many outreach centers, and I was sharing with my listening audience a little bit about where those were located. Now, truly, you have a philosophy that you um, share with the addicts you work with that encourages them not to white-knuckle this addiction, not to work on beating it. So share a little bit about your philosophy and and how you see that working for the addict. Sure. Well, what what my experience is is that people, when they enter treatment, and especially sex addicts, and I'm not sure if it's particular to sex addicts or not, if they just haven't been exposed to 12 steps that much, but when they see the 12 steps, 
I see them looking often like deers in a headlight, in a headlight, like they're totally bewildered by the 12 steps. Like it's indecipherable. Yes. This list of 12 steps, but what in the world does it mean? Because by the time they've shown up in my office or your office, they've been fighting this addiction usually for years often have had some successes, but often have had just as many, if not more, failures fighting this addiction. And so they're in this mindset that what they're supposed to do is figure out how to fight the addiction in some better way so that they can defeat it. But when I look at the 12 steps, I honestly don't think that that's the strategy that the 12 steps is talking about. I don't think the 12 steps is talking about fighting the addiction in order to defeat it. Okay, so then what do you believe about the 12 steps? I mean, how does working with the 12 steps of recovery, how can you make that simpler so that it doesn't seem so difficult, you know, so hard to fight, so difficult to win that battle? Well, the first step, you know, was the key in many ways because the first step says we admitted we were powerless over our sexual addiction that our lives have become unmanageable. And so obviously that is taken from the 12 steps of AA admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. So that, that step is read at every 12 step meeting, but it means that if you're powerless over the addiction, over your sexual addiction or whatever the addiction may be in your life, you're powerless over it, which means, it has already defeated you. You can't win that battle. In uh, the 24-hour day daily meditation book from AA, they use a, a word you don't hear much anymore. They say, when we admit we're powerless, we are admitting that we were licked by alcohol. <laughs> so if you really grab a hold of what the first step says, then anybody entering treatment and really entering recovery has to be willing to admit that they are licked by their addiction. They are already defeated. And when I say I am powerless, that's what that means. But the good news is powerless does not mean helpless. And so the rest of the steps are the strategy of if you're already defeated by this addiction, then how do you conquer it? How do you heal from this addiction? And I've heard the the 12 steps boil down in a very, very simple way simple but not necessarily easy but it makes it easier for me to remember and I think it'll make it easier for our clients to remember and the 12 steps are kind of boiled down in these three short sentences number one trust God number two clean house and number three serve others so trust God clean house and trust others and if you look at all the steps two through 12 you can see all three of those elements in each of those various steps as you go through in one way, shape, or form. A big component is the spiritual solution of trusting God, a higher power, whatever that may be for you uh, in your life. Uh, Learning to turn your life over to the care of God as you understand God. Trusting that that God is benevolent and cares about you and wants what's best for you. And for people who don't necessarily even have a a religious stance, maybe it's the 12 steps themselves or the program of recovery or the 12-step meetings, their sponsor, their peer group that shows up in meetings. Maybe that is a higher power, a higher principle that they can use as their guide, that they can trust in. But having a spiritual solution is key. Trusting God is key in whatever way that you can understand God that works for you. Knowing that whatever that is today, that's going to evolve over time, right? If you're really working a program of recovery, that's not going to stay static. And then the second step of that is clean house. A huge part of working the 12 steps is cleaning your own house. Uh, That's a big part of the Uh, fourth step inventory of looking at your resentments, uh, who has hurt you, who has damaged you, who's let you down, and then looking at who uh, you're angry at, and then looking at who you've hurt, uh, who have you damaged uh, with your behavior, your addiction throughout your whole life, 
what fears do you have? Uh, what sexual relationships have you misused or damaged people with your sexual relationships? And then you admit that to God, yourself, and another human being, the exact nature of your wrongs. So that's a cleaning house process. And then the steps following step five, step six, and seven is working on your character defects, identifying what your character defects are, and having and asking God to remove those shortcomings. I think that's even the bulk of the work, the ongoing work of recovery is working on those character defects, which is all about cleaning house. And then yeah, also so tell, um, tell our listening audience, just in case they're brand new to this issue sure. and they just Googled sexual addiction and our show came up, what would you consider to be some character defects that you'd be working on? Sure. And, yeah. Sure. I, common character defects are arrogance, pride, narcissism, um, resentments, fear, anxiety, um, thinking I know it all, uh, unwillingness to ask for help, um, uh, just anything that helps your life to not work, uh, fear of intimacy, running away from intimacy and connection, uh, withdrawing from life, uh, withdrawing from the game of life or relationships with people. Uh, so does that, does that help kind of get at some of the things? Absolutely. And, and what I know to be true is that addicts really invariably do have an intimacy disorder. It's hard for them to empathize themselves than other people's. Right. In part, that's because they've had to maintain their addiction. And to maintain your addiction, you have to be self-centered. You have to lie. You have to withhold. And so all those things continue to get reinforced over and over again, like you said, because most people have been dealing with an addiction for years. Right. And one of the core beliefs, I think this is so important, uh, that's at, you know, kind of the center of most addiction is that somewhere along the way, people have learned who have an addiction before they even developed an addiction, they were learning in life their needs. They could not rely on other people to meet their needs. And that lack of trust, that inability to trust other people, that inability to rely on other people, that's an intimacy issue, right? Now, that's an attachment issue. And so when a person feels that way, then what they end up doing is looking for ways to meet their own needs. An addict is basically saying in their addiction, I'm going to meet my needs how I want to, when I want to, on my terms, no matter what. Because, And it really comes, though, from a place of fear, the fear that I can't trust you, I can't depend on you, I can't rely on you. And that's an intimacy issue. And so that is a huge character defect or a flaw that people in recovery have to work on to improve those intimacy, that ability to be connected and to hang in there, even though it feels very scary and creates a lot of anxiety. Well, absolutely. And don't you think that, you know, if people – are going to work on their addiction and they um, decide to use the 12 steps and that gaining and achieving sobriety from one's unhealthy and destructive sexual behaviors does feel like a battle for many addicts. It's like they don't often feel like they are in battle sober. They feel like they're in battle to stay out of addiction. Right. Right. But, See, this is where, you know, the the 12 steps have a very interesting and almost counterintuitive strategy because the, you know, the perspective of the 12 steps is begin begin at step one, admit you're powerless. I can't defeat the addiction. The addiction has already defeated me. I've been licked by it. So then what the 12 steps says, essentially, then what you need to do is not fight it. What you need to do is to walk away. You walk away from the addiction, and then the strategy of the of steps two through twelve is to change your life, basically. And you change your life by trusting God, cleaning house, and then the third thing I didn't get around to the third thing, which is serving others. So much of the twelve steps is about reaching out to other people. You do that first by making amends to others, 
that uh, you have harmed and forgiving those that have harmed you. And then uh, you serve other people. You share the message of your recovery, your strength, experience, strength, and hope. But then just being of service in general to people in your daily life. Did You know, one of the ways in your daily inventory of yourself is, did I help someone today? Just in any way, shape, or form. There's something about that service, that giving of yourself that helps an addict get outside of their themselves, their self-centeredness, and reach out to others and helps them to begin that work of healing some of their intimacy issues. I'm well, I know that- so many good sponsors when someone says to them, when an addict says, you know, I can't get out of this rut. I, all I do is think right. about my addiction. I have urges and cravings. I, I'm slipping and relapsing. The sponsor will very wisely say, well, what have you done to help somebody today? Because, A, obviously that takes them out of their own self-centered addiction, but, B, it makes them better about who they are and how they're showing up in the world. And they're reaching out to other people. Uh, I have a saying that I use with my clients that I tell them, when you want to act out, you need to reach out. And because you're acting out in place of in place of making an intimate connection or in place of connecting with someone. And if you think about that core belief where I can't rely on anyone to meet my needs, then when I'm acting out in my addiction, I'm trying to, again, meet my own needs on my terms, how I want to, when I want to, no matter what. And what I need to learn, the learning edge for me is to learn to to take the risk of reaching out to other people. That's why in my groups that I lead at Lighthouse Counseling Center, I always, you know, we have a text group going. All the guys have their, each other's numbers, and they're, I encourage them to call each other every week because they need to get used to connecting with other people in a genuine way and not in some sort of manipulative, addictive way that they are used to doing in their addiction. Well, absolutely, and we all know that connection is the antidote for addiction and for intimacy. Correct. So I want to tell you, obviously, you and I both run groups, and, and I am talking with Gary Eldridge, who works for the Lighthouse Counseling Center, and they actually have, um, is it three or four centers in the, the New Orleans, Louisiana area? We have three. Our, our first center, uh, Ben Lakata, our director, founded in New Orleans and then uh, opened a center uh, in Baton Rouge, which is about an hour and 20 minutes away from New Orleans. And then just this year, we've opened, just actually in the last handful of months, uh, opened an office uh, in Mandeville, uh, Louisiana, which is about 45 miles north of New Orleans, north of Lake Pontchartrain, which is the big lake north of New Orleans. So we now have three office locations. I think we have eight therapists on staff. I think I've got that right. And um, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four of us are certified sex addiction therapists. I think I have that right. And everybody else is getting trained currently. And uh, And so we have a very comprehensive program that I'm really proud of. I'm proud to be a part of it. We have uh, groups for addicts uh, at the Facing the Shadow basic level, and then we have a level two uh, groups for addicts that are going on, and we have partners uh, groups, group therapy for the partners, as well as they all get individual therapy, and many of us are getting trained in emotionally focused therapy, which is about this intimacy disorder stuff. And many of our therapists are EMDR trained. So, I'm sorry, Sue Johnson. Yeah, and yeah, Sue Johnson is my new favorite. I'm actually a certified <laughs> sexual addiction therapist, but I'm also an APSAT trained therapist, which is the American. Ah, cool. I mean, we do partner sensitive training um, as clinicians and also as coaches, yes. and. I love the fact that you are honoring the partners as well as the sex addicts because, you know, the sex addict needs to be able to restore his coupleship. If he's not not single, if he's in a relationship, that's as important as his own recovery. So I also was really impressed with the fact that you have a three-day freedom intensive workshop four times a year, and you hold a connections workshop based on the fabulous Brene Brown and her empathy yes. work. 
Absolutely. Yes, we do the three-day freedom workshops, a sex addiction intensive workshop for men. We limit it to six men. Uh, so um, they get a lot of individualized attention over the course of three full days. Ben Lakata, our director, and I facilitate that group, and we do that that intensive quarterly. So our next one will be coming up in September. And then our um, primary uh, partners therapist, Lynette Dewey, uh, does our connections workshop. And uh, she holds that about the same amount of time, three to four times a year. She holds that. And I find that when our addicts or partners, either one, go through that connections workshop and really address some of these connection intimacy issues, that it really enhances their work and recovery in a powerful way. So uh, I'm really pleased that we have uh, these kind of things to offer the intensive weekend for the addicts and this connection workshop and our therapist, uh, uh, Sarah Easterly is, is been doing a um, EMDR intensive with partners as well. Uh, So, uh, you know, we, we by far have, I think the most comprehensive, the best sexual addiction treatment program in in the state of Louisiana, I believe. I don't know how far that goes, but I'm sure in the state of Louisiana, that's true. Well, I love that. And let me just tell our listening audience again, just in case you don't know what he was referencing, he's saying that one of his colleagues has an EMDR um, practice for partners, and EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing, and it is one of the most powerful ways to process trauma. And one thing we know about partners is that as a result of the discovery of his or her addict having this problem, you almost always go into a trauma state that activates the right. brain. It you right out of that prefrontal cortex. It it activates the amygdala and it makes you go into that fight, flight, or freeze state. And so right. so many women that I talk to say, I don't know what is wrong with me. I can't think. I can't speak. Mm-hmm. And I am activated. I can't sleep, eat, or, or function. And so EMDR is a really powerful way to process a lot of that trauma. One of the reasons I think Carol, that partners are so trauma have such trauma when they discover their partner's addiction is because of all the addictions, sex addiction is probably the addiction that the addict is able to keep secret the longest. Like it's kind of difficult to keep secret that you're drunk. If you're an alcoholic, it's kind of difficult to keep secret that you're loaded. uh, You know, if you're a, a drug addict, Uh, If you're a gambling addict, the bank account can go down pretty quickly. Um, If you're a food addict, that's relatively obvious to most people. Um, But sex addiction, what I, my, my experience is people can keep that secret for years and years. And so there is a lot of stuff that gets built up. And when the partner finally discovers it, it truly is a traumatic experience because it's not like, they're they're discovering a small babbling creek in the woods. They're they have inadvertently many times stepped into a cascading waterfall that just pounds them uh, from head to toe in a way they never expected. Well, I a hundred percent agree with that. As well as your partner, the person you married, be it male or female, is supposed to have your back and be the person you can trust. of the time, and being that this is a process addiction and being that this person has spent days, months, and perhaps years lying to you, it shakes up your world so that you no longer trust any of your environment or reality around you. You you start doubting your own intuition and your own ability to reason. And so like we talked about, Carol, that the addict has trouble trusting other people to meet their needs. And the partner may well have already had that feeling, too, that I'm not sure I can trust you. And then when they discover the addiction, then that, you know, whatever fragile trust may have been there, or maybe it's a full implicit trust, that gets dashed on the rocks uh, when they discover the betrayal and the secrecy that's been going on for so long. Well, 100%. And, and you said that your colleague that does the EMDR, did you say her name was Sarah? Yes, Sarah Easterly. Well, many many therapists are trained 
um, in EMDR. I'm actually one of the therapists that are not. Ben Lakata, our director, Lynette Dewey, um, uh, Laurie Schlegel, Anna Gray Baker, all of them are EMDR trained. I think Bo um, Labalette is getting trained. So all of our therapists, I'm the only one that hasn't. You know, I've, I can only do so many trainings. I used to think I could train my way out of any difficulty, but I've learned that's not necessarily true. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I graduated in 2007 with my certified sexual addictions uh, training, and I remember everybody was saying, you got to do EMDR, you got to do EMDR, and right. I'm six feet and when EMDR first came out, it was so powerful that it was kind of seen as hocus pocus. And I remember saying to my colleague, there is no way I am going to do that stuff because I don't want anything unusual coming out of it. I didn't trust it. And then I got right. into my certified sexual addiction training, and I found out how powerful it was for addicts who had experienced mm-hmm. trauma in early childhood. And I said, okay. What I know to be true is I got to get this um, training for the addicts I work with, and then right. I it was equally, if even not more valuable, for the partners to ha- to help deactivate them while they're going through this recovery process with the addicts. So I am a big believer. I am trained and certified. And what I was going to tell you, Gary, is you got to have Sarah contact me because now I have a oh, okay. partner. Um, yeah, I've got a, a partner show via AppSets. It's called Betrayal Recovery Radio. And awesome. we, I'm doing my third show this week. Now, you know, Sex Help with Carol the Coach has over a half a million open downloads. But, That's awesome. But my, my new radio show is only three weeks old. And so I would love to have any of your colleagues on and to talk about how they work with partners to help heal them because Perfect. we really want the family to get the help that they deserve. Absolutely. Well, you know, at the end of Facing the Shadow, Patrick Karn lists the nine ingredients for successful, long-term, robust recovery, and at least one or two of those nine ingredients involve the family members being involved in therapy, or being involved in a couple's recovery group. So absolutely, I agree with you that treating the family makes such a huge difference. If you're only treating the addict, that's really makes, makes the road much, much harder for the addict. And, and then the, the partner often is never able to access the healing that he or she deserves um, in this situation too. Well, if I can tell my listening audience, in the best workbook we've got going on for sex addicts, Facing the Shadows, which Gary says he has a Facing the Shadows group and a Recovery Zone group, Chapter 9 talks about the fact that you have to heal the relationships, and it identifies all the support groups for couples or for partners. And you're right, at least in the third edition of Facing the Shadows, Dr. Karn says you know, for a long time we've done this um, specialty a disservice because we didn't honor the partners like we need to. Right. And right. we've got to treat the partners and the families so that the whole system is healthy. And I love that. When when you know better, you do better. And Dr. Carnes and ITAP and we see sets are all working hard to do better and honor the whole family system. Absolutely. So now let me just ask you a couple more questions because obviously okay. you have a real comprehensive approach and you have these twin strategies, acceptance and gratitude, my two favorite concepts of the whole <laughs> program. So right. tell me how you think acceptance and gratitude helps facilitate healing and, you know, obviously recovery sure. change. Right. Well, uh, one of the things about four years ago, uh, when I was at a particularly low time in my own life, I, uh, my therapist gave me two assignments that I embraced wholeheartedly and I believe were, were instrumental in me really making some significant changes in my life. And the first one had to do with acceptance. He, he, told me to read the, what's called the acceptance passage in the AA Big Book every day. 
So I said, okay, I don't know where that is, but I'll read it. He, he made a copy of it for me, and I had it with me, and I read it every day. And maybe many of your listeners are familiar with it. I've practically got it memorized because now at every group that I lead, this is one of the things we begin each group with. And it says, acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, or in this case, sex addiction, or whatever addiction you may have, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. So acceptance is the very beginning of the 12 steps also, because you can't admit what you can't accept. And so if you're going to admit you're powerless over your addiction, you have to accept the reality of that. You have to be willing to accept the cold, hard facts that your addiction has licked you. And then acceptance runs through the rest of the, uh, the 12 steps. Accept that you need a spiritual solution. Accept that you have to clean house. Accept that you need to serve others. Accept that the way to defeat addiction in your life is not to fight it on the battleground of addiction where it wins every time, but to walk away from the addiction and change your life. The more you can accept the reality of those things and embrace that, then you can move forward and you can actually heal from the addiction. And that's the way you conquer the addiction is through acceptance. And my experience is that's a daily process. That's not something you do once and for all. Uh, that's something that you have to do every single day to really accept life on life's terms, as the, as the big book of AA says. And then the second assignment my therapist gave me, Carol, was to write 10 gratitudes every single day. And I thought, wow, that's going to be not too easy. That'll be rather difficult. And then he told me, don't repeat yourself from day to day. <laughs> oh, no, that's really difficult. But I tried it, and I did it. And I wrote 10 gratitudes a day, literally for about a year and a half or two years. And those two things together, practicing acceptance and practicing gratitude, I would have to say radically changed my life. Because what I didn't realize until I started practicing this thing of acceptance and practicing gratitudes is how much I, I, how much I was resenting things around me, people around me, how envious I was. And I wasn't grateful for very much in my life. I thought I was always missing out on stuff. But doing these gratitudes, I have to tell you, that just really changed my perspective. I realized I was already very rich and just didn't realize it, didn't even know it, was, was ignoring that fact. And my life really changed. My relationship started to change. And there's so much about recovery that people will talk about in addition to service. If you can be grateful, service and gratitude are probably the two areas where you get the most bang for your buck in recovery, in my opinion. Okay. Now, I, I got to ask you one more time, that acceptance um, piece that you read at the beginning of every group, that comes from the big book, right? AA. Correct. Absolutely, yes. And what page? I'm sorry. Tell me what page? I want to steal that and use it in my group. Sure. It's well. It depends on what edition. <laughs> on the newest edition, <laughs> it's on page four seventeen. Um, there used to be the previous edition. I uh, was on a different page, like four forty nine. And there's actually AA groups that are named the four forty nine group because of that acceptance passage page. But now in the new edition of the 12 steps, it's on a different page. And so everybody's upset about that. <laughs> but it's well, on page 417. Like, yeah, in the it's like they edition. modeled themselves after that page. And now they have to, Absolutely. They have to revamp Absolutely. or be, be the traditional page 417. Right. Correct. Okay. Absolutely. That's right. where you believe acceptance and gratitude help facilitate the healing and change life and recovery. And it's just so funny you say that, Gary, because today I had a group member 
who um, is having trouble being honest with himself, and he's having trouble being honest with his girlfriend. And in actuality, although he feels 100% safe with our group, he's having trouble being honest with them. And Mm -hmm. he identified that it was his inability to really surrender, which I feel is a form of acceptance, to surrender to the fact that he needs a higher power, he needs his committee, as Patrick Carnes calls it, he needs his fellowship to help him accept what he can't accept by himself. And so right. I really, I was intrigued by your concept because I know that's the obstacle for him in getting healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I learned how to do, Carol, is when my wife uh, – and I have an argument about something and I'm not particularly liking what she's told me, then the next day I try very hard to write in my gratitude list. I'm grateful for my wife's difficult feedback yesterday. <laughs> because I like that whatever that's was recovery she, work. <laughs> that's right. Whatever it was she said, even though I didn't like the package it came in, there's probably mm-hmm. something I need to listen to in that, or she would not have bothered to tell me. And so I challenge my clients to do that, you know, because they come in and talk about how they've had a fight with their wife or their spouse or their husband or their significant other. And I say, you need to be grateful for that, because if they didn't love you or care about you, they wouldn't even bother to give you that feedback. And that's true, I think. So uh, learning to be grateful, even in the difficult things, is very, very important, too. Well, I 100% agree with that, and I tell my clients, and I tell myself, that's good emotional maturity. When you can take conflict, and we all know conflict is normal, natural, and necessary, and when you can work through it, even if that means you're angry and upset initially, if you can accept that it is bringing you a gift, then more than likely it's going to breed intimacy, and that's what we're all really looking Mm -hmm. for. Right. Now, i got to ask a couple of things because, obviously, you hold an annual goal-setting workshop at the beginning of the year, and I'm a life coach and a certified sexual addictions therapist. I'm a clinician. And so right. I was so intrigued to hear about this goal-setting workshop because I remember in my training, and probably yours too, that the fourth module that Dr. Patrick Carnes made us go through was about right. living a legacy and setting, well, actualizing your potential even higher once you had your recovery down. So tell me a little bit about the goal-setting workshop. Well, I'm not personally involved in that so much. Uh, ben Licata and Bo Lavalette are the two therapists who um, have spearheaded that this past year, and I'll have Bo give you a call. But what I can tell you is that we get a group of people together and we – help them identify some goals, especially goals that they may have in recovery, because a lot of people that attend the workshop uh, are interested in setting goals for the year for their recovery. And, uh, but then other people may come because, you know, in January, everybody wants to set goals. And within six weeks, those goals have kind of gone out the window uh, achieving them. Uh, So uh, we get people together help them identify what their goals are and then uh, develop some strategies for how they can achieve those goals and maintain. The difficulty is not making the goals. The difficulty is not identifying them or even wanting to pursue them. The difficulty is maintaining. And I think that's what uh, Bo and Ben do such a good job at uh, in directing that uh, workshop. And I, I'll, I'll have Bo or Ben give you a call and you can spend a whole show talking to them about that because I think it'd be well worth it. Well, I do, too, because truly when somebody has gotten their recovery under their belt and they've done the recovery work as a couple, it is time for them to take their life to the next level, and that goes beyond uh, the 12 steps in that it's about setting up goals that maybe don't even have to do with recovery. You know, a lot of my clients say, when am I going to be able to focus on something other than my sexual addiction? <laughs> I say, hey, you get that set up, and you really get that rock solid, and you've got the rest of right. your life to take your life to the next level. So I well, would sure. love and that. If, and, if, and, if, 
Sure. And if, if you're really following the strategy of the 12 steps, you shouldn't be focusing on the addiction forever. You should be focusing on changing your life. And that's why recovery is seen as kind of lifelong process is because changing your life and making your life better and growing, making progress, you know, uh, continuing to develop and enriching yourself and your relationships. That's a lifelong journey. I hope fighting the addiction is not a lifelong journey. That would be awful for anybody to be fighting an addiction for the rest of their life. No, that's not what the 12 steps is about. That's not what recovery is about. Recovery is about changing your life. And if you really want to change your life, you have to make plans and, and develop goals and strategies for doing that. It doesn't just happen by chance. If you let things happen by chance, there's a very good chance you'll wind up back in your addiction. Oh, yeah, I 100% agree with you. So now as we wrap up, Gary, I am so thankful that you came on tonight to share your wisdom about, yeah, the 12 steps and the recovery journey and not fighting things but really accepting and surrendering to them. Is there anything else you would tell our listening audience that you think might help them through as they work on their addiction? I think that, you know, Stephen Covey talks about begin with the end in mind, right, in the seven Mm -hmm. habits of highly effective people. And I think people need to remember, and and again, this is a gift of AA, the, the promises of the program. A lot of people say, why am I doing recovery? And I say, do you know the promise of the program? And they don't know. And so I read it to them. I said, you need to read this every day, just like you read the acceptance passage every day, because this is what you're shooting for. And if we have time, I'll read them for you. Uh, It says, if we are are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and fear of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us, and we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. So those are the promises of the program. Uh, They're also called the ninth step promises. You can Google them and find them, but an an addict in recovery needs to keep that in mind. That's That's what the benefit of working recovery is. That's what a taste of the new life that you're creating will be. You'll know a new happiness. You'll know a new freedom. You'll um, know peace. You'll know the meaning of the word serenity. All the, all the promises I just read will, will definitely start manifesting in your life if you follow the strategies of the 12 steps. Yeah, very well said. And so we'll leave you on that note. You've left us with a lot of hope both for the partners that may be listening tonight to wonder what what would make my husband or wife feel better, and certainly for the sex addicts that want to deepen their relationship with their recovery program. Gary Elders, thank you so much. He works at You're most welcome, Carol. Yeah, and this is a New Orleans-based counseling center, and it's in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Mandeville, Louisiana. So, Keep me posted on all the things you're doing, and thanks again for sharing your wisdom with us tonight. Sure. It was great talking to you, Carol. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. So that was Gary Eldridge, and obviously he has worked diligently at being able to share his wealth of information. Um And he's made it his mission to help addicts and partners work through their conflict, work on recovery, and create the best lives that they can. All right, so I am so happy to have been with you tonight, and I look forward to more um, wisdom from people that are going to be on the show for the rest of this month and next. 
if you have a good topic that you would like to hear more about, if you've got a story that you would like to share, I encourage you to send me an email at carol at carolthecoach.com. And um, what I know to be true is that we all gain strength from each other's stories. So as I say at the end of every show, you know, there's only one of you at all times, so I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be yourself. And why don't you take on the exercise Gary got from his very own therapist and write 10 gratitudes a day to keep you looking at what is working as opposed to what is not. That will keep your, you emotionally more balanced as well as it will make you a happier person. That's my promise from Carol the Coach. And we will see you next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. Make it a good one.